Thanks for listening to F&I Talk Outside the Box. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Motorist Assistance Plan, also called MAP. You'll learn more about how you can equip every customer with this valuable protection later on in this episode. Hello and welcome to F&I Talk Outside the Box from EFG Companies. I'm Dave Gibbs, Training Manager for EFG, and I'm really excited today to introduce to all of our listeners out there our new Vice President of Training and Recruiting, Kim Cotts-Carroll. Welcome, Kim. Hi, Dave. Thanks very, very much. I can't tell you how excited I am to be joining the EFG team. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I've been in automotive space for a little bit more than a hot minute. I joined automotive before uh, Y2K, right? Before BDCs were a thing or even the internet and anybody knew what to do with the leads that were coming in off of this thing. So I've really had the fortune of seeing dealers and our space grow over the last few decades. My vision for our training department is to build on a really superb foundation. So I'm going to get out and talk to dealers, get out and talk with their team. Because in my experience, if you listen they will tell you either directly or under the surface of those onion peels what they need and what they want. One of the short-term things we're doing, right, is in conversations with dealers, they've said, I need to make sure that as my inventory comes back into stock, that my salespeople aren't just order takers. I need to make sure my sales and F&I people know how to answer questions. How do they demo a vehicle? How do they do a walk around? How do they become more than an order taker? Also in fixed stops, right? Some dealers are telling us until inventory fully restocks, I need to make sure I'm optimizing everything I can out of my service drive. So how can you help me on the back end of my dealership until the front end looks more like it used to two years ago? The other thing we're doing very immediately is building out our compliance program so that dealers know we're here for them. Thank you, Kim. I can tell you that uh, already the training team is so happy that you're at the helm. Kim will be joining our lineup of hosts for the F&I Talk Outside the Box podcast and in the future. And our guest today is really, he's well known to our audience. He's been on with us multiple times. He's had years and years of experience, and he is the current executive director of the Association of Finance and Insurance Professionals. Shannon Robertson, I just got to thank you again, brother, for coming on here. We always appreciate your insight into where things are going in the industry, primarily regarding compliance. Thanks for having me. This is the one thing I'm passionate about, and I will talk about for as long as you have that record button hit. Well, we we appreciate your energy and enthusiasm and the great relationship that EFG companies and AFIP have had for a long, long time now. So uh, back in June, we touched on uh, the very topic that's been making headlines all over our industry uh, and in others regarding the FTC's new proposed rules. If you could please give our listeners uh, an update on, on what's been going on recently, where the FTC is with that. Just to give a current, you know, where we are today is the window closed for comments midnight on September 12th. So the FTC gave a 60-day window and they asked 45 very specific questions on what our thoughts were on how the changes would impact the industry. A couple of things I want to point out is NADA did request a formal extension of the window. It was denied by the FTC. Since that window's closed, we have seen a lot of comments, concerns, And most importantly, I would say questions 
behind kind of the FTC's philosophy on how they came to these changes. You know, the numbers that they quoted or the numbers they provided just didn't seem to make sense to us from an auto standpoint. And not just us, but there was a study done by the American Action Forum kind of questioning those numbers by the FTC. It's an independent group. We've seen six state senators come out with letters posing 11 questions back to the FTC, asking for clarification and better understanding of why they're looking to implement these rules, because the numbers they provided and the math they provided just didn't seem to make sense. And let's let's take a step back. Normally, if the FTC makes rule changes, it's a long process. They, do, right. they reach out to the associations, right? They do studies with customers. They gather a lot of information and it's kind of a group effort as they go through and make some changes. And, and that's the normal process. They do have the authority to come in and put rules into place in a short-term time frame. It's just not something they've historically done. And I think what surprised a lot of us is they didn't follow the process. Um, in terms of what's going to go into effect, we just don't know. I can tell you in speaking with NADA and the state associations, everybody was able to get their comments in before the window closed. AFIP commented, everybody got their comments in. And just to add one thing there, I think a lot of people had the same comments. All you're doing is putting rules into place that are going to require the dealers that are trying to be as compliant as possible. You're increasing the number of hoops they have to jump through. If you really want to make the change, enforce the rules that are on the books. And I think that was kind of the overwhelming message from everybody. Focus on the current rules, enforce what you have, go back and do your studies and do and, and look at those proposed rules and do they are they really going to have the impact that you think? So the FTC right now is reviewing those comments. They will come out at some point and they will right. say, here's the rules as is, effective date as of this date. They could come out and say, here's the abbreviated rules, or they could come out and say, you know what, maybe we jumped the gun a little bit. Let's go back and do a little bit of research and let's see what happens. I don't gamble, so I don't know if I'm going to put my odds onto any one of those three. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's funny, our I, our phones listen to us talk. We know that. So I opened up my phone about a month ago and I was on LinkedIn and my cell phone said, hey, we think you like the FTC. Would you like to follow the FTC on LinkedIn? So I said, <laughs> sure, why not? And one of the things that came up was job postings. They're actively hiring for positions in the deceptive and advertising division. And I don't know a lot about how that connects to what's going on. I'm just going to draw some lines. But everything that we see in the lines that we draw lead us to believe that something will come out as some proposed rule changes. Well, Shannon, those are excellent, excellent uh, comments and insight to really where this stands currently. And you addressed a number of issues that a lot of our uh, dealer partners have on their minds. And I just wanted to uh, pass the baton over to Kim. I know she has a couple of things that she would like to get your opinion on as well. Kim? As Shannon's commenting, right, my, my head's spinning. Of the last 10 years and of the legislation the FTC already has in place to help protect consumers, they only prosecuted 37 times, right? 
which equates to only less than four times a year. So to me, that's a question of other than the fact that they're hiring or looking to hire more legal counsel, are they already leveraging what they've got on the books right now before putting extra layers of stuff in place? They're not. I saw that number you saw. Here's my thought. The Supreme Court came out and told the FTC that if you're going to assess a fine under UDAP, you could not include additional damages for money going back to the consumers. In my opinion, I think what caused this dramatic change is to take what the FTC felt like were common UDAP violations. And I think by moving them under the actual written rules and violations allows them to go after secondary damages for the consumers. Right. Both the dealer and the lender too, at the same time. Correct. Okay. So that said, you know, when I talk to dealers, they're on the assumptions. The FTC comes out and says it's going to be as written. What do you think dealers should be doing right now? Good question. So here's what I've been telling dealers. Let's focus on what we can control. Let's focus on the rules that actually make sense. The transparency, giving the customers the right price of the vehicle when they call, right? Going through, making sure our products are priced making sure customers are treated fairly in similar situations. There's a lot of things that we can do that are simple, just transparency. The other thing is the process protects everybody. Too many times dealers have things that they do with no written process. Addendums. You should have written rules around your addendums. These are the items we have listed as addendums. This is the most that you can charge for. Yes, these prices are commensurate with the actual value of the products. All of my rooftops are under those same guidelines. Those are the things that dealers can do now that if the rules go into effect, the easy part's done. And if the rules don't go into effect, you're going to reduce consumer complaints by having these process and consistencies in place. That's, to me, what we need to focus on. What is it that's driving consumer complaints and how do we stop that? You're right. I mean, even when I went through your AFIP class, the ethics part of it, right? Clearly, remember you saying, look, guys, this is the part where I can't teach you to be a good person. I can't teach you to be honest, but that's how you have to go for this you know, part of it. And that's where you talk about the transparency, pricing fairly and treating people equally. It's, it's, it's a little bit of that to me. 100%. And just put it in writing. You got to have stuff in writing. I mean, a lot of what gets dealers, I think, in trouble is when they're audited or they're asked how they price or come up with you know, how they mark up to not have a rules or process or guidelines in place, right? It, the dealer can't defend that they're treating customers fairly you know, if there's not rules or processes in place. Yeah. And I mean, some of that, like the declination form, that's already in existence. And that's super, super easy in my mind for them just to do and just make it standard and it it checks the box and it takes that off the plate. 100%. The NADA policies you're talking about, I think, yeah. you know, the, the first thing, and, and I know I've said this before, but if the dealer wants to know what they need to do now, implement your NADA policies. First pencil payment quotes, right? Rate modification, fair credit compliance policy program, and the voluntary protection program. Put those policies in place now. You've heard every objection in the book when selling a VSC. Just like Goldilocks and her porridge, your customers want that perfect fit. How can a perfect fit for them increase your dealership's bottom line by up to $1,800 per month? It's simple. With EFG's MAP, you can create a completely custom plan tailored exactly to the driving habits and budget of your customers. It's so easy to sell with condensed coverage levels, expanded surcharges and deductibles, and terms in 2,500 mile increments. Give your customers a 
exactly what they want to increase customer satisfaction and product penetration. Sign up for MAP today and prepare to take your F&I profitability to the next level. Go to efgcompanies.com for more details. Let's say 2023, if these do go into effect, and I know there's all kinds of, well, what if number one, but not number 16, and if these go into place as written, what kinds of changes do you think a dealer is going to have to do on their day-to-day operations? So let's just start with documentation. The minute that contact takes place, you have to start documenting that. You have to document price that was given, customer signs off on it, dealer signs off on it, dealer manager signs off on it. Now we can talk about addendums, add-on products, right? There's additional disclosures that have to be provided that have to be separate from all the other documents. When we talk about disclosures and we talk about changes, I think the process is going to go all digital because everything has to be documented. And one of the things the FTC says, and if I have, I can find my notes here, I'll tell you that documents with the mayor's signature or initials or a form presented to a consumer with pre-printed checkboxes would not constitute express informed consent. That's exactly the note I just wrote to myself too, because I was like, is that enough to prove it? So what they're saying is we need to have separate documents that clearly state what we're required to disclose, where we're gaining signature. So because of that, it's going to go, it's going to have to go digital to, to keep that, to keep all of that on track. Which I agree. That was where my brain was going with that first, Shannon. And then I started thinking about, well, what about that consumer? And I think of my mom or whomever, right? They goes, I don't want to do digital, right? I, that's not the way I want to do this. And they have the legal right to say, they do. I don't want to do it digitally. And so then the dealership has to stop and do it all via paperwork. So even though a dealer might put all of this stuff into play digitally, they're still going to have to have a plan B that lets them do it on paper too. Of course. I mean, and this is where the obstacle comes into place. We're impeding the sales process. This is why everybody's questioning the math and everything put forth by the FTC is because the additional process and forms they're requiring do not simplify what, what they, it does not do what they think it's going to do. Let's talk about offering price. Under the new world changes, you have to give the customer clearly upfront what is the offering price. And the offering price is the full cash price for which a dealer will sell their vehicle to any consumer, excluding only required government charges. Remember, your dock fee is not a government fee. So now you have to show that. And in talking with legal counsel, one of the things they interpreted is that if you and I are walking the lot looking at cars... If I'm asking you about price on 30 different cars, under the written rule, I have to have the offering price in writing 30 different times. And that offering price has to be signed by the customer, the dealer salesman, and a manager at the dealership. Yeah. I mean, even as you're describing that, and I know it's complete idiocracy, but I'm picturing myself as a salesperson holding a clipboard with lines going down it so that as I talk to you about five different vehicles, I write stock number price and you sign stock number, like carrying that around because we just talked about five cars and I need you to sign off. That's the price I quoted you on all those five. Absolutely. And Kim, let's add one more step. I can't show you any additional add-ons or anything until you've seen the basic price of the car. So one of the things that we've asked the FTC to define are add-ons, because according to the definition they gave, if if the truck doesn't show up from the factory with the bed liner, I can't technically add it 
in the pricing until I've showed you the price without it. I mean, think about how many things we build out and we front load on those cars before they even hit the floor. So this right here, this is the answer to your question. You've got to have a system to handle all of this, right? So your technology price, your cost of technology will increase because you're going to have all of your salesmen on either iPads. You're going to be documenting every conversation, whether it be in text, email, you'll have everything tracked. Um, You're also going to increase your training costs for BDC and the other departments because now they need to be part of sales and compliance training. You also will need to have additional web services, right? On the website, you have to have an additional web page that lists all available products at your store and the price ranges. They have to be accurate and up to date. If you do a Facebook ad, you have to be able to link that person to your website for that page that lists all available aftermarket products. Well, and what if a dealer has an aftermarket product that 10 other dealers, 100 other dealers do. Now they're all doing it. They don't like pricing it the same, right? Because sometimes there's differentiators a dealer has that another one doesn't. And it's going to be, in my mind, like a go to the big box store and find out what price you want. Welcome to Fair Market Enterprise. Yeah. Remember, we're one of the last industries that's a free market enterprise. How many other industries is everything negotiable? So what the FTC believes is these rule changes will put everybody on a level playing field and will make it easier for the dealers that want to do it right to get exposure because they're trying to do it right. That's what they believe, right? That's why the transparency comes into effect on price quoting. There are dealers out there that are saying, we don't do market value adjustments, but have unfairly priced addendums on their vehicle. It's essentially the same thing. Yeah. Right. So that that's what they're trying to I, I understand what they're going for. Oh, I, I just too. I just don't agree in the with the method in which they're trying to get there. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I get why they're doing it, but I also think about our dealers and the layers of, of hoops they're gonna have to go through. I mean, we'll be there to help them, whatever is the case. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Do you have any idea or have you seen any feedback on when they will be giving a response? I just saw they had like over 10,000 comments to read through. So there's been no feedback as to when an announcement that's going to be made per the people that I've, I interact and work with. My biggest concern for dealers isn't necessarily the cost to implement these rule changes because it's going to be hefty. But we're making assumptions that the dealers are up to date with where they need to be now. Compliance guidelines came out in 2003. Right. To date, we still have dealers that don't have compliance officers or written guidelines. So I think where the overwhelming effect is going to be for some dealers is how do I get you to comply with the new rules if you're not even up to date with where you need to be? Which that's perfect place for them to start right now. And that's where I'm going, right? You can't go back to answer your question. What does the dealer need to do to be prepared? Have everything else put into place. So the cost of rule changes are not as overwhelming because you've already done what you're supposed to do. There's a lot of podcasts and a lot of groups out there and they have exciting things they talk about. This is not the exciting stuff, but it's the most important stuff. And I think what most dealers are missing is the, the stuff that you need to do today is the simplest things that you can do. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Shane, I really want to thank you for joining us today. So Dave, come on back, dude. 
Wow, what an amazing discussion regarding what's going on uh, with the FTC's recent rulings and how this is going to impact our dealer partners and really the entire automotive industry. So, Shannon, I cannot thank you enough, as always, for being on our podcast today. Uh, Just you are a treasure chest of knowledge, and I really appreciate the guidance you've given us. And Kim, thank you so much as well for leading a really important discussion for us again and all of our uh, dealer partners and everyone listening to the podcast. Well, that is all for today. If you want to get in touch with us to let us know how we impacted your business or to ask questions for us to answer on the next podcast, don't hesitate to email us at trainingservices at efgusa.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to our show today. If you like what you've heard, please go and rate us in Google Play or the iTunes store and be sure to subscribe to hear more F&I talk outside the box. And EFG Production.